This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. It's been a couple of weeks between episodes. We decided to take a small break, what with all the limited hours cricket that was being played. Now that there have been two tests, and what a return it has been to tests as well, we have a really special guest, a returning guest, Mr. Jeremy Henderson, or fondly known as Messi Jez from the Guerrilla Cricket World. Hello, Messi. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ajit. I'm very happy to be back again. I thoroughly enjoyed myself last time. Absolutely. And I I got some positive reviews. And uh, I think our listeners also like you very much. And not just That's the Guerrilla Cricket tonight. fans. No. I think you, you bring uh, this staid Englishman's perspective mixed in with a really, you know... Uh, Really sardonic Australian one. I don't know how else to put it. You're the right <laughs> mixture of the two. The state Englishman meets the, you know, the hardworking Australian uh, guy who's, who's, you know, I remember what you did for a living. So, you know, it's more like uh, somebody who's been a working man's friend all his life. So that that's a right combination, I think, and the right perspective. Thank because you. Thank you. We have other Australian friends who sometimes join us. Mog joins us, but he's outright... He's outright sardonic, I think. You you have the statement still. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, so. Yeah, I think uh, Mog's king of sardonic and sarcastic. <laughs> sarcastic as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. And also the king of jingles, clearly, as we hear. Absolutely. So, without too much ado, I think we should go straight into the amazing England-Pakistan test. So, first we start off there. Your thoughts? This England test? Uh, approach is going to break test cricket and remake it? Well, I don't know. It might break me and remake me. I'm still (laughs) still all over the place with this. Hmm. Because, I mean, there's no way to deny that it was a spectacular win by England. Absolutely. I'm still feeling a whole lot of unease around a whole lot of it. from a personal point of view, uh, bear in mind, I came at this from an Australian perspective of really not wanting uh, England to win and being keen to see Pakistan do well. But mm. I just feel uncomfortable with the degree to which they've decided to throw away what mm. I regard as sensible test cricket. Uh, in the hope that uh, their gamble will pay off. And there's absolutely no doubt that their gambles have paid off so far. Hmm. Uh, but I find it really disturbing. Possibly, you know, I think on the first day, it was brilliant really to do that on a wicket that was doing nothing uh, to hmm. make the best of what they've got. I don't think they've got players that are particularly well suited to doing uh, the traditional test cricket thing. So it was probably a good idea. But I think the thing that really got to me the most was declaration. To me, that declaration made no sense mm. because all it required Pakistan to do in the second innings was to score at slightly less than the rate that they had scored in the first innings. And I'm not suggesting that they should have shut it down to make it unwinnable for Pakistan by any means. Mm. But 
one of the things that a second innings declaration should be aiming to do is put some pressure on the opposition while not taking away the capital. And that would normally mean that you're going to ask them to, to actually put pressure on themselves by seeking to score at a rate a bit more than they did in the first innings. In this case, they didn't do that. And they worked on the basis that they wanted all the time they could get. And they proved to be wrong, I proved to be wrong and angry. Uh, I still think <laughs> it was... It, it's hard to justify that declaration, to be honest. But yeah, what do I know? I've well, made a number of um, comments in relation to selections too, which have proved to be totally wrong. Beginning of right. this year, I said I shouldn't be near Test cricket. In mm. this match, I thought, what was Will Jacks doing bowling at their fourth fourth bowler? Right. And uh, look how good it was with that. So, what mm. do I know? <laughs> right. How did you feel about it? Well, look for me this this new new leadership axis, the Ben and the Baz axis as it's called, right? It's, it's it's really really refreshing as far as Test cricket is concerned, and what what it brings, right? So it's basically looking to utilize the best equipped players in the best way possible. This is how I look at it. So as you say, somebody like Ben Stokes who's more of an aggressive cricketer, is uh, remaining aggressive in his captaincy and with his bowling and field placement. You saw that right throughout. He probably moved the field twice every over, thrice every over or something, right? To try and make things happen. You have people like yeah. Zach Crawley who are probably more traditional test cricket players, but who are now adapting. You have somebody like Harry Brook who completely opened out his arms and embraced all-out limited overs cricket while playing in whites. Right, and then of course you had somebody like Liam Livingston who, albeit did not have much of a part to play, but it promises a sort of thought process in this England eleven, which says we are going to go for a victory and we don't hesitate, always being aggressive. So you might actually see one day this England eleven being bundled out for fifty-eight or something. That might actually happen. Yep. But more often than not, they'll still make it to fifty because of how quickly they score and. One or two of them coming off, you know, a 70 there, a 60 here will still take you to 200 plus. So that's what they're banking on. What they're banking on is how good these cricketers are, irrespective of whatever format they play, right? So Ben Duckett coming yeah. back, scoring 100, 400s in the top five for England. Joe Root probably, he was like almost, a, you know, let there be one failure, let it be me sort of a thing, almost. Yeah. He failed. And then to score at six and over throughout the test, they batted all of... I mean, I'm looking at 136 overs here, 137 overs. And to have scored, yeah. you know, 920 runs, this is some sort of a joke. But they did. So when you look at all that, they made the result happen. So if you look at Australia touring on a similar pitch earlier this year, in the same place, there were 17 wickets in the whole five days. 14. 14 even. Oh, God. Okay. So yeah, yeah. when you compare that with this, that there were two completed innings and two declared innings. That's quite something, yep. right? You have to give yep. them the credit. On the other hand, I think Pakistan uh, really blundered by providing that sort of a pitch that they did where they thought we are going to back our batsmen to bat three and a half days if required, right? And which yep. their batsmen nearly did. But what about the bowling? The bowling had no experience in it. You had a teenager with less number of tests than his age actually leading the attack. You had two debutants. How does that ever work? Yes. Well, I think Pakistan were, were seriously short in that regard. But I think I think the real fault with Pakistan, apart from the pitch, which is unforgivable, 
lies with their batsmen giving away wickets. Uh, and they're capable of concentration, but they played some really stupid get-out shots. And I know that you know, over a long period of time that's hard, but they know how to do it. I mean, in the, the mm. test uh, against Australia last time, in the second innings, uh, the openers made 214 without loss uh, to secure the draw. And they made a hell of a lot in the first innings as well and declared. Uh, they know how to do it. And they were up against what I would argue was a much better bowling attack than England provided. Indeed. Uh, they know how to do it. They just didn't have it done and that their mind's in the right spot. And I think part of that was their reaction to the assault they copped in the first innings. A hundred percent. I mean, you could see the body language all over the place when, uh, when you know, uh, England were like 500 for nothing on the first day, right? You, yeah. you saw it. Yeah. 500 for three, 500 for four would phase anybody. And that's exactly what happened there. And credit to Pakistan, they did really well in the first innings. 579, they took yeah. their time. And Aga Salman, I think, was a brave cricketer there. Both the innings, he made crucial runs. He bowled some crucial overs, I thought, in the second innings. But look, for me, the leg, leggy, leggies anyway take some time. You, If you're planning to blood a leggy who's in his 30s, give him a couple of tests to settle in. You don't give him a test against England on this pitch. I mean, I don't know which no. is worse. Uh, debuting on a Nagpur pitch, which, which will give you 25 wickets a day, or this one, I don't know which is worse if you're a spinner. You should try to <laughs> pick something that's more, you know, I, I dare say something an Australian in nature, the pitch, where it is more friendly to pace bowlers, but there's enough in the batsman that the game will go through to the fourth day. So that's an ideal pitch for a leg break bowler to debut in. This is the worst pitch. I mean, how much was it? Four for 235 in the first innings. And then uh, did he take a wicket in the second? Yep. He took two, but for 84 uh, He took two. Yeah, he ended up with six for 350 or something like that. Uh, something crazy. <laughs> uh, he he would think, did I did I bowl ten plus years of leg break in uh, first class cricket for this? A wicket at yeah, sixty. Yeah, got two for eighty four in the second innings, and he got four for uh, two hundred and five in the first innings. So yeah, three hundred and nineteen runs for six wickets. Oh dear, <laughs> that's hard going, isn't it? No, no. I mean, also, I think they they could have used one more full bowler ahead of. Two part-timers. You had Aga Salman and they backed South Shakil the batter. South Shakil the batter came really good. I think he had a wonderful debut. It was completely hidden in what happened here. So, Haris Rauf yes. debuted. Muhammad Ali debuted. Muhammad Ali is a journeyman cricketer. I don't know why he's there. He bowls faster than Abbas. But what about the experience? Look, Ali Robinson also bowled 78-79 miles an hour throughout. And he finished man of the match with five wickets. Could Pakistan have not used Abbas? Yeah, I wouldn't have had him man of the match. Exactly. Neither did. Neither would I. Well, good question. But at least he took five wickets. Let's just pick that. And yeah. why not include um, Abbas, who's more far more experienced? You decided to do away with Hassan Ali. That's okay. His form is very much up and down this year. Now it looks like Hassan Ali is going to be right back in the reckoning for the second test. They're still not looking at Abbas. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, well... You, yeah. you you blood uh, Haris Rauf, who's a T20 specialist. You have Mohammad Wasim Jr. in the squad, who also will debut. He's again a limited overs guy so far. So they picked a war horse from the uh, first-class setup, but that really didn't pay out. So there, I think they went really yeah. wrong. Also, a lot of kudos to Jack Leach. I think he did a wonderful job in both the innings. Yeah, I, I, I think the jury's still out in terms of Jack Leach. I think it'll be interesting to see how he is in the remaining two tests. 
Uh, I mean, what he get? One for 56 in the second innings, and uh, I'm just looking. Two for uh, 190. Hmm. Yeah. Now, to be honest, on a wicket like that, it's hard to judge any spin dollar, it seems to me. Hmm. Uh, but I'm still not convinced. I know there are those who regard him as uh, England's answer to Nathan Lyon. I'm still not convinced of that. I don't think he shows the confidence in being able hmm. to, to float it up and give it a bit of flight because when the, the wicket's not spinning much, flight is the way you're going to do it. And yeah, that is going to be expensive on occasions. I'm still not convinced by him by any means. I still think Jimmy Anderson was easily the player of the match. I agree. I think he's amazing, that man. Mm. He really is. To be the group, the age that he is in, to come back. And I remember in 2020 as well, he won a test for England with a very crucial spell just before lunch on day five, when India lost the first test in yep. that series. It was plainly down to Anderson. So he's really maturing nicely. And also he has, you know, the right moment to deliver, he picks and he does. This test he did, that 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 spell just on the either side of lunch, how crucial was that for England? That four-wicket burst? Yeah, and and just something you might not notice, but mm. the third innings, I mean, it was an innings of 579. Mm. He went for 2.3 runs and over, which was more than one below any other bowler, right? Yes, yes. The yes. second innings... Uh, he went for 1.5 runs and over. Yeah. Uh, next best was Ollie Robinson at 2.27. So, you know, it, and he bowled a lot of overs. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He bowled 46 overs all up, I think, for the match. And uh, he's done well. He, he'll definitely be rested uh, in the next match, uh, but he's earned it. Hmm. You'll have Wood coming in, eh? Hopefully, yes. Although, you know, Wood's a bit more breakable. <laughs> I think that's why he'll only play one test at a time, right? So, yeah. So I, I'm going to ask you that then. Among the three really impressive people, so between Ben Duckett, Harry Brook, mm. and um, Will Jacks, who had the most impressive debut? Do you think? Well, I mean, if you look at the figures, mm. uh, I'd say Will Jacks probably. Uh, right. But I actually didn't think he bowled particularly well. Uh, I think he got very lucky. Mm. Uh, but as I say, you make your luck. Um, Ben Duckett, 107 off 110 deliveries would normally be seen as fantastic. But in the context of what was going on, yeah, it was a good innings, but he should have done that. Harry Brooks from 53 off 116 was, I think, better than Duckett's. Right. But, you know, six wickets for um, for Will Jacks yeah. is, is bloody phenomenal, really, when it comes down to it. And uh, I was the one who said he shouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There you go. He was probably a yeah, bit too I'd full at times, which meant he was going to be yeah. punished. But look, that that's that was not his worry. This is going to be a high-scoring test anyway. This is not going to be a test yeah. where you're going to get away with three and over if you're a spinner. They're going to go after you. They did. Right? So, it, it's okay. So, I think uh, also his runs were very crucial. That declaration batting a little bit. Yeah. He didn't have much to do in the second innings. And uh, Leach also took just one wicket in the second innings. But I thought it was a phenomenal overall performance to actually generate a result here. I mean, that brain fade between Babar Azam, Saud Shakil, Mohamed Rizwan and Azhar Ali, I think. That's that's what cost him yeah. the test. One of them being there would have seen it through. I thought so Azhar Ali would see them through, really. It was a bit of a disappointment. But 
I'm sure you're disappointed not only with that, if you're a Pakistani supporter, but from an England perspective. Well, I mean, the, the other thing that I thought was a bit disappointing was the fact that the Pakistani town, Nazim Shah, did say they have 46 balls, but uh, Zahid Mahmood was 21 balls. Uh, Harris Ralph was out second ball. Mm. And then Mohammed Ali stayed there for 26 balls without scoring, showing it wasn't that hard if you applied yourself. Right. So... You know, I, I think that was very disappointing. Uh, Baba was very disappointing too, obviously. Second innings, I think he's yet to develop that steel, I'll be frank with you. Right. I, I used to always immensely respect Pakistani batsmen for their second innings skills. Inzamam, I think, won two tests with nine down. His team, nine down and 50 runs required. He won it single-handedly, twice. So I think Baba is going to get there. And we hope he does. Because one of the measures of greatness for me is also that. You play when really your team needs you, like Stephen Waugh used to do. Brian Lara did it twice. Bat with the tail, take the team home. Right? I think Barber is yeah. going to get there. He's not yet there. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, his average in the first innings is 51. His average in the second innings is 43. Either one of those is probably, well, 43 is still more than most of the English team previously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, hmm. you know, there is this question mark about how much uh, the Pakistan team have relied on him and uh, yeah, when he fails, the team quite often fails as well. The seniors uh, Mohammad Rizwan and Azhar Ali will have to wear a bit more of that responsibility on their shoulder. Saad Shakil showed impressive, impressive application in the second innings. I thought his his loose shot after the after the break, I think, started the precipitation as far as Pakistan is concerned. But yeah. I think he did really well for a debutant. Both the innings, I thought he looked really composed. He looks like Manabon, frankly, from Test match perspective. He looks really one for the next decade as far as Pakistan are concerned. That was a really impressive debut for me. So yep. overall, just to finish off this part, do you see too many changes for England? First of all, probably as you say, Anderson will be rested. Maybe Wood comes in. Anderson Wood, and then obviously Livingston's not going to be there. So hopefully they'll bring folks back in and have a proper wicketkeeper. Mm. Um, although some people have been suggesting that folks shouldn't come in, I think that would be madness. Uh, I think you know, Pope had a tough time of it. He did a, a reasonable job, but he, he's not a great keeper. Um, and folks, I mean, the thing people underrate about folks is while he's a good keeper, he's also a decent bat. Uh, and I think that. They've got a net gain in getting him in there instead of Livingston. I don't think Livingston was necessarily particularly promising to be a test player, uh, given the, the number of people who are prepared to take that attitude anyhow. I think folks deserve in their merits and uh, hopefully will be. But apart from that, I mean, the, the only thing I would say is that I really would prefer a, a team more balanced with a full-time second spinner. Uh, but you know, how do you drop Jacks after that? You don't. No, he stays. He has to play. Yeah. I mean, you did. He took enough wickets, right? And he gave you all the important breakthroughs in the first innings. So Jacks will stay for me, and it could be a really correct thing if they were to include folks. And look, England have had a really bad history of treating keepers who are yes. better with the gloves or purely really better with the gloves. You remember 80s, 90s, nah, 2000s even. That early 2000s, there was a keeper wasn't who didn't yeah. get too many games because he was just purely a gloveman. But anyway, all that apart, England looked really good. Pakistan, we were talking of Hassan Ali being back in the frame. We don't know if Hassan Ali will play with the finger. I don't know how it will shape mm. up. Mm. You see too many changes there? Maybe two forced ones? Which one will go, Bowler? Well, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to see Hassan Ali back. 
Um, but yeah, you do worry that they just haven't got the firepower. I mean, the, the loss of Shaheen Sarafridi is just so huge in the context of Pakistan attack. Uh, right. They're going to be struggling, I think, whoever they pick. Um, but it's going to depend on their batting to get them out of it and, and keeping their heads about them. So I don't know Absolutely. what the pitch at Multan is likely to be because Australia didn't play there uh, this year. I don't know whether mm -hmm. it's got the same sort of history uh, as Ropindi. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> right. Though I think the pitch will be closer to a more uh, traditional test match wicket is what I get to read. Uh, but from all the apologies that Mr. Raja was making, you don't know what that means. I think he's just overplaying his hand uh, just as a, you know, uh, just to lull England to a false sense of security or whatever, I think. This will be more of a traditional wicket where you'll have to bat well, apply yourself well. And, uh, you know, usually the traditional way of batting long and batting strong will carry through. However, England, I don't expect them to change their uh, approach much. What do you say? Well, I noticed they haven't played a test match in um, at Maltan since 2006. Uh, and that was the only test drawn there. There were four prior to that, all of which had a result. Three Pakistan wins and an India win. Um, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Going back Sehwag. <laughs> I, I remember. Sehwag did some bad things there. <laughs> Scored a 300. All right. Um, but, okay, uh, from the series perspective, a quick, uh, quick guess which way the series would go. I think that England will probably win this 2-0. Nah. Wow. Which is, is very much the reverse of what I had originally, is as Pakistan win 1 0. So there you go. Mm. I'm going to go 1 all. <laughs> Pakistan, England. Right. Pakistan will take a test and draw the next one. Let's see if they're able to do that. Because look, there's also a lot riding for them because they still are in with a chance of making the World Test Championship final. England are more or less out of it. So they'll want to do something about it. Uh, I think you're very optimistic if you think Pakistan can make it. <laughs> I'm, I'm known to be... Well, I, I had a look at the table the other day and the number of teams left. Uh, if it's anything other than Australia, South Africa, I'll be very surprised. Australia are well, well with, a, with a chance, especially if you move to the other one, the way they are playing. It was a very traditional Australian test. Bat ones, bat really big. Two double hundreds from number three and number four. The two Twitch yeah. brothers sort of re-establishing themselves. Uh, Steven Smith sort of coming back late in his career with a, another renaissance. I mean, wow, what a guy. I mean, what a batter. Even even we well, thought he was Steve, out of form. Stephen Smith, Go on. Stephen Smith is at the age now where Tendulkar was. He went on a fucking massive run. Yes. And the truth is that he's worked a lot on his technique over the winter, just changed it a little, and he looked better batting in this test. I was there for the first two days. Uh, than he has for quite a long time. And he looked totally at home. Uh, I think he's going to have a huge summer in front of him and probably Labuschagne as well. Uh, and I'd be surprised to see Kawaja doing really well as well. So I think you're, you're looking at Smith coming back in quite a big way. He can handle that uh, form and that technique. Uh, he really is powerful. Mind you, he didn't have to face much threatening bowling. Azari uh, Joseph uh, bowled reasonably fast, particularly in some mm. spells in the second innings. Uh, but beyond that, it was right. pretty much medium pace up and down stuff. No, you're right. So I thought uh, the West Indian all-rounder component 
the Kyle Myers, Jason Holder roster chase component was really, really not there. Yeah. Kimar Roach was sort of threatening right at the top, but then he sort of faded away. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Seals is still learning his craft. Alzari Joseph can be threatening on his day, but you know, that's the thing. You need to be threatening or incisive over longer periods. Like somebody like, I think Josh Hazelwood showed that very, very beautifully. He yeah. showcased that so nicely. You know, he's unhittable over a longer period of time and you will give him a wicket. If not, the guy on the other end will break through. Right? Yes. You saw that time and time again. It was quite good. I mean, how good Pat Cummins was in the second innings as well. Uh, sorry, in the first innings as well. Fantastic. I saw, I happened to catch an entire spell. I mean, what a bowler Pat Cummins. It, it, it does not have to be said, but that, that spell was fantastic. So yep. for me, uh, you know, West Indies don't carry the kind of attack that can sort of, you know, rumble this Australian team to 250 all out. I don't think Well, particularly this one, uh, which was, I heard mm. comparisons at one stage between uh, uh, Ropindi and Per because there uh-huh. were so many runs being scored. But it wasn't. It was hard and it was fast. It didn't have a lot in, it in terms of variation for the bowl, but a really fast bowler was getting something out of it. And that's really uh, not a wicket that you can get much out of. Some credit, there was some reasonable um, medium pace bowling in that process. They kept the Australians very tight at the beginning of the first innings. It was quite impressive. But uh, they just hadn't got the attack. They may do better in Adelaide because that medium pace, if they can get the swing and a bit of cut off the week, uh, they, they may well uh, have some success with that there. So don't write them off. I tell you who um, I was really pleased to do well, though, apart mm-hmm. from Craig Brathwaite getting his ton and bowling pretty well, actually, was yeah. uh, Taj Narain. Yeah, I think it's Taj Narain or Tag Narain. Yeah. I think they call him Tag Narain. Right. Yeah. Well, he, he was. He's he's going to be a really good Test batsman, I reckon. Uh, he's yes. just got that temperament that goes with it, and he he does show a lot of his uh, his his dad's temperament in, in the way he bats. But he's also got mm. a good deal of attack in there. I mean, the fifty eight in the innings was off. Uh, I think seventy nine balls, something like that. Uh, yes. So it it wasn't slow. And uh, no, 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 a lot of promise there. He attacked short pitch bowling wonderfully, played quite a lot of one day and limited over shots to the short pitch bowling. And the well, the pitch was true. And if you hit those hard test match lengths, and if the ball stood up well, he played those shots behind the wicket. That was wonderful to see. I expected more from the likes of Kyle Myers and Jason Holder, frankly. Jason Holder did a little bit in the first innings, but then, you know, he usually stands up when it counts, scores a 30 or a 40. Uh, same for Kyle Myers and Jermaine Blackwood. Jermaine Blackwood, sort of a middling test. Really, what I was disappointed with was Ross and Chase bowling. I mean, he is the single oh, spinner. That and was dreadful. He could not keep the runs down. He could not keep the runs down at all. No. This was a problem. He was all over the place, and mm. it, it was a you know a huge gap. It's why, you know, uh, well, you look at the figures of first innings. Ross and Chase bowled 31 over 140. Mm. Craig Brathwaite got uh, no wickets. And Craig Brathwaite got two for 65 off 12 and a half overs. Uh, right. And that's pretty fair, too, because Brathwaite did bowl better than Chase. Uh, but shouldn't have had to, you know. Yes, he should you never can't have had just to bowl. Keep bowling someone who's doing anything. Um, <laughs> he, he only had to bowl six overs in the second innings and took one for thirty-one, which was quite flattering. But he did bowl a bit better, but you know, for very long. 
It, mm-hmm. it didn't matter. It was junk runs to be had in the, that, that innings, and uh, that's where Manus got his second century. Absolutely. So a double hundred and a hundred, not very often does that happen. That's a nice record. No. But some other special records, I think uh, Craig Brathwaite batting with the father and the son, uh, Mitchell Starr getting the father and the son out in test matches. Yes. Both yes. are very rare records. It may or may not happen very often. But wonderful to see if you're a test match fan that there is still this continuity that's only possible probably in test match cricket where, you know, uh, the father and son, Chandrapal, they played 11 first class games together. You would not have expected that to have yeah. happened any time in this era. I mean, there was time probably between the wars or after the Second World War. This this was okay. Yeah, this was expected. But to think yeah. that between them, uh, they played 11 uh, first class matches and then to see this. Uh, Senior Chandrapal was also there, I believe, in Australia. He was there to see his son debut. That was very nice to see. I don't think he was. Well, he didn't present him with his cap um, when he made debut. Ah, no, it was Lara, I remember. Yeah. Now, ah, right. Brian Lara was funny. When when uh, Bonner was uh, retired hurt as a result of being by Cam mm. Green, uh, Justin Langer was in the commentary box and suggested that uh, Lara could be brought on uh, as a concussion substitute. Which Makes was, sense. At the same time, the stupidest and the most exciting uh, idea all at once. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, right? And, well, what about this person, Mr. Langer? He's been shouting his mouth off. At his former team, at his former pupils. Yeah, I, I don't. Know. I, I mean, I think the whole press thing tends to make things a lot hmm. more noisy than they probably are. <laughs> I think he, he was a bit loose in terms of his talk uh, on a, a podcast, as some of us can be. Uh, hmm. But in his case, everybody's listening for every word and picked him up. Yeah, so yeah. he spent the first. Uh, appearance as a Channel 7 commentator, hugging each of the Australian players in turn. Some of reciprocated more strongly than others. <laughs> Absolutely. This this I can understand, yes. He was actually quite a good commentator. He and Ricky Ponting made quite a good team as commentators for a while until Ricky Ponting had to go to hospital. Oh, they, they're used to batting around each other. Yes, for a long, yes. Right? What was that all about? What was that all about? Ricky having to go to the hospital? Yeah, he got taken to hospital. It, it, just heart moments of some sort, but uh, he was back in the box the next day saying he was fine. It doesn't it doesn't sound good because Ganguly, one of his contemporaries, um, you can't really see these people indulging in uh, weird habits or other things. Could it be stress? Because Ganguly also had some heart-related issues. You had to take a back seat. Now, Ponting, having yeah. something to do with heart, it sounds a bit crazy, right? So these people who are so, so usually careful and they also probably still exercise quite a bit. So, for them to have well, I, I, yeah, Ponting looks very fit, but he does onion, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe he drinks too much for that. <laughs> you never know. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you much. call it? Sampling his own wares a bit too much, potentially. Well, maybe not. We'll see. Probably, probably. We really hope you know these two. These two are required. The cricket requires yeah. them to be longer, around longer. Now, there's another test. Out. Yeah, there's another test starting tomorrow in Adelaide, the day nighter. Cummings is out with a hamstring, yeah, and. You still have Stark and, there, though, who can take wickets for fun with the pink yes, ball. Yes, and, Bo- and Boland's coming in. Now, Boland's got a test average of something like nine, something something ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, yes, Cummings is a brilliant bowler, but uh, Boland's, if it, it is swinging and cutting, Boland's a great bowler to make this. So, you know, I can't see Australia not winning in Adelaide, possibly in three, three and a half days. 
And then we've got the Test Series against South Africa coming up, which will be a, mm-hmm. a beauty if the South Africans uh, have a full-strength team there. Uh, I really do hope so. It's a precursor, as you said, to the World Cup World Series final, potentially. Is there a basketball attack all fit now, do you know? Yes. So, from what I read, Rabada was struggling a little bit for fitness, but the rest of them are fine. Lungi, Ngidi and Heinrich Norke will be there. So, we really hope Rabada also makes it. That'll be quite something. Rabada, Lungi, Ngidi and Heinrich Norke on one side versus Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood on the other. Yeah. And Maharaj and Leon. That'll be a good lineup yeah. too. That'll be a good match. Absolutely, I, I I think it'll be a really interesting series, and I I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up one all, with a draw caused by rain in Melbourne for the Boxing Day. <laughs> well, I mean, you saw a lot of rain during the World Cup, and the right. La Nina is still in effect, uh, and mm. although it won't be as dramatic, I still think there's likely to be rain. I mean, the truth is, Sydney is the venue which has lost more dust on a percentage basis of test cricket than any other venue in the world. Um, so right. they'll always be there. But, uh, yeah, La Nina could well stuff it up. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And, and as I say, I think it'll be a preview for the World Cup, uh, sorry, the uh, World Test Championship final at the Oval in June. Right. right. Let's see if, if this all of this comes to pass. So, But you don't give us any chance whatsoever. No. Fair no. enough. <laughs> I had a good look at the table the other day. There's not that many matches left. For example, the Australia-India series is not part of the WTC. Uh, yes, and which is weird for me, but okay. Yeah, it is odd. And there's another series. Uh, I can't remember what it is. It's not included. And I thought, well, that really means almost at the end of it already. Anyhow, we shall right. see. All right. That uh, Those were the test games. Going uh, quickly to the one day leg of it. So, well, India-Bangladesh looks to be very interesting. India are uh, well, circling the drain again in the second uh, one. So, it's uh, this series will be remembered as Mehdi Hassan series. First of all, he won the first game from 9 down. Look what he did. Eh? 9 down, he took his yep. team to victory with uh, Mustafizur Rahman for company. That was a really sc- low-scoring affair. Second is currently in progress. His 100 took them to 271, which I think is about 50 runs above par in that place. 50? It's quite something. Really? Yes, I think I think the pitch is quite treacherous. It's, it's, it's up and down and it keeps the bowlers in it all the time. And I think the Indian bowlers started really well. Uh, they showed the pace. Umran Malik again, very, very, very exciting right at the top. But then in the end, I think he finished with 50-odd runs in his 10 overs. So, Mahdi Hassan completed 100 of the last ball. What do you make of that? I mean, this guy's being underutilized by Bangladesh throughout, you think, so far? He's played 35 tests, huh? That's not too bad, is it? Jeez. And batting him at what? Number eight, is that? Seven. Yes. No, no. I think he was at uh, eight today. Eight, yeah. Number eight. Gee, that makes a difference. Particularly, Mm -hmm. nobody except Mamadoula made uh, more than 30 about him. Uh, Mamadoula got 77. Right. Yeah, that is a decent score, especially. Cole was out for five and Shikadawan for eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, Washington Sundar for 11. So 58 for three for India is is problematic, chasing a, a score of uh, 271. Exactly. And also, as I said, Rohit has gone for a finger scan. Looks like he may have a broken finger, which he suffered when he was fielding. So you would think good guards. Now, India are going to go back-to-back series loss in Bangladesh. This is very rare for this Indian team. But also a very deserved wake-up call, I think. They've been tinkering around too much. They don't have their first-choice bowlers, agreed. But 
now you think uh, what have they been doing shreyas ayer has a chance to again prove himself here he very well might but will it be enough to win the game it remains to be seen because india have their uh, their back right up against the wall so it might be a good option to yes, see what do. they are made of so before we go away from the limited overs leg uh, did you get any chance to see the sri lanka afghanistan series at all i didn't i'm afraid i was too preoccupied with everything else that was going on so tell me about it understandably well look it was a wonderful wonderful series that i think you know sri lanka were really lucky i'll use the word lucky to actually uh, sort of survive and get to a draw because when you look at the three results well afghanistan are really showing they have come of age when it comes to the longer format slowly so the odis they were really good at t20s now they are getting better in odis especially when they are playing in home conditions or asian conditions so first one they beat sri lanka comfortably it could have been any team it could have been any asian team beating sri lanka there they made 294 in the first innings they uh, took sri lanka all out 234 second one i think it would have been a really close game because afghanistan were bundled out for 228 but sri lanka were 10 for no loss when the game got called off again i would not write off this afghanistan 11 in asia simply because of how well they field these days and their bowling the spin mm-hmm. right in the third game well sri lanka always produces these magical innings with their backs to the wall somebody comes up with the goods it, it could be dhananjay de silva dinesh chandimal somebody patum nisanka these days you hear this name quite a lot it was in this case charita salanka who came up with a beautiful unbeaten 83 he had a skipper dasun chanaka give him company and then in the end dunit vela lage a new guy i have a feeling we'll hear this name quite a lot in the coming decade or so a left arm spinner who can also bat really well another you know vanindu hasaranga like guy a spinner who can bat really well right he finished the game off purely from what i saw i saw the ending of this game live purely it was the lack of experience on afghanistan part a slightly more experienced team would have edged this game they had the wrong people at the wrong places they had the wrong people bowling the long wrong overs otherwise you would think afghanistan would win this so in spite of sort of drawing the series what afghanistan have achieved is they have qualified for the next world cup 2023 world cup as well seventh place team even does it surprise you at all anymore oh right no yeah and this is the one that uh, south africa have yet to qualify for isn't it <laughs> yes yes <laughs> south africa are in the 12th position that's kind of interesting and they are well below west indies sri lanka ireland even so yeah it's going to be interesting only netherlands are at the top at the bottom otherwise anyway look all i'm seeing is uh, with the next world cup being held in india sort of home conditions as far as afghanistan is concerned it's going to be a very interesting interesting world cup they would very well throw their hat also in the list of people who could really do well yes yeah so i'm going i'm really looking forward to their performances in the next year yeah that was all the let's say the cricket we wanted to talk but if you want to look at some of the news off field yeah go for it well puran has stepped down from the limited overs captaincy it was sort of expected he really did not look comfortable in the captaincy role west indian captaincy role did you feel otherwise with puran uh no i i think that's right i think west indies cricket finds it so hard in ter- terms of these sorts mm. of things it's not a job i would wish on anybody to be honest <laughs> uh, I mean, we think West Indies is a test-playing nation, but they're not. They're a test-playing group of nations, and uh, bringing right. all those people together under the one flag must be a real, real hard task for anybody who's going to be captaining them. Um, and I think Puran's been struggling anyhow, so I think not a bad thing to be honest. So sort of expected, but it sort of combines 
the coach is going to leave at the end of this series phil simmons mm. and then uh, this guy also walks away so a sort of a leadership vacuum right at the top again i don't know if they are going to bring in some new guy give jason holder another go i don't know who's going to be the limited overs captain next right it's going to be really interesting for me test match they have a pretty settled lineup but uh, odi is this way too much uh, way too much up and down maybe somebody like roman powell but i don't know if he can take the limited overs team forward remains to be seen the other one well chamika karunaratna has has been handed a one year suspended sentence and a huge fine by sri lankan board for the exact cause that's not actually made public but we have a feeling it might be related to something similar to what uh, his colleague who's currently still in the dock in australia right maybe it was something related to that something similar to that we don't know well tell me what you have between just between us so basically in australia you know right danushka gunatilaka has been sort of uh, remanded to police custody then he was given bail but it looks like chamika karunaratna may also have been one of those people who was Jeez. breaking curfews and gunatilaka is still in sydney he's still sort of you know he's still facing charges uh, the board is supporting him but we don't know where his cricketing career will go from here and chamika karunaratna may have been one of those people who may have also broken certain laws that were put around the team in terms of curfews and other things and he's been severely reprimanded they don't have a history in that regard do they i mean they was it in england in yes. durham that uh, they got up to all the hijinks three cricketers yeah, during covid geez. periods where they were seen in the city square smoking and so on so uh, they like their freedom yeah. the sri lankan boys i mean I, i don't know what goes on I, maybe they need to rethink this on how they want to go about disciplining because a very harsh routine when clearly you have one or two players always breaking it and getting caught makes no sense either but or you have to convince them to be a bit more aware of what's going on because what danushka gunatilaka did is like a for the lack of a better term it's, it's it's a crime that can happen anywhere but he used a dating app and then yeah. found somebody and so on i don't want to go into the details but that that sounds that counts that sounds really bad unfortunately right so yeah well probably best to leave, leave it be and just notice it and move on absolutely now i'm more interested in how sri lankan the management would be interested in fixing it but i'm going to keep an eye on it nonetheless so the next one is more interesting one probably something in your uh, something in your ballpark a private equity firm has made an offer of 400 million for a 75% stake in the 100 which is currently estimated at more than a billion pounds you felt you were a yeah. bit worried about the influx of people with money in cricket well absolutely i mean it it's part of a, a much bigger picture about money in sport uh which relates i think in part to profiteering and part to gambling uh and it's really hard to know precisely uh but i look at some of the money that's being tossed around for stuff uh although it's not cricket the fact that ronaldo has been offered 200 million euros a year yes al nasser to go to saudi arabia <laughs> cup yes, right right uh, i mean i'd never even heard of the saudi arabian league until i saw that story <laughs> and i thought the hell's going on here this is this is this night monopoly money you know it, it's figures that you and i just don't understand <laughs> absolutely and yet it's been thrown around for one player mm. so 400 million pounds in the 
in Inkit is almost nothing, comparatively speaking. Mm. But it seems to me there is massive amounts of money available for various things. And I look at some stuff that's going on that just doesn't make sense. Mm. Mm. There is a T20 competition, sorry, T10 competition that's been going on in the Emirates over the last couple of weeks. Which The only reason I knew it was on was because it was one of the things available for me to watch on my um, subscription. T20, I had a look. I thought, I don't care who wins this. I don't care about most of these players. Why would I watch it? And there were, you know, a very small crowd there. The only thing I can think of it is, A, that there are streaming platforms that are desperate for content, so they're prepared to actually pay money mm. for stuff in the hope that people will watch it, and I suspect they won't. Right. Or, B, that there is a huge betting market that is... Uh, available it's running in uh, the countries where big money is changing hands but that it opens up all sorts of possibilities i mean the truth is that in terms of betting markets mm. the amount the volume of money makes them so open to to various sorts of manipulations imagine the the test match between england and pakistan the odds in that change so dramatically over the four day five days mm. Mm. Uh, people could have made an absolute killing on on those those odds uh, the same with the um the india versus um mm. uh, bangladesh odi that it looked like India got well in hand and managed to lose the last moment. Right. I think I got that right, didn't I? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the odds on that would have changed dramatically. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment there was anything suspect about those. Right. But there are going to be times when you're going to be asking that question because the volume of money that's involved is so massive. Mm. The other thing is, how does it make sense in the context of the development of cricket as a sport rather than business? Because that's all the franchise owners are looking for is business that gives them a return of some sort. Uh, and at the end of the day, hmm. as soon as they have effective control of that, then everything else to do with cricket goes out the window. Hmm. Uh, they end up with possibly their own development streams for players, but it has probably very little to do with what has happened traditionally in terms of first-class cricket, in terms of test cricket, all that sort of thing. Mm. So I'm, I'm deeply concerned about the direction things are going. I think IPL has done a reasonably good job in terms of commercialising cricket, but it's just moving further and further into that base of effectively running a year-round league, which I would hate. Mm. Um, and all of those sorts of things tend to move away from the game that I am most attracted to, which is test cricket. Right. And, you know, I may be a dying breed now. <laughs> I actually like ODIs. Uh-huh. I like them better than, than T20 because there's so much more strategic involvement in a wicket actually worth something in an ODI, whereas in a T20 it's worth virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. So those sorts of things change. And... Now, I noticed that the IPL is uh, intending to have what they call a technical substitute available in uh, next year's IPL, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which means that effectively you've got, you get to bring in another player at some stage. They tried something like that in the best year and it was a complete fiasco and wasn't used much. But what I see coming is ending up with three or four substitutes you can bring out at any time, which changes the whole sense of integrity of the game. You pick a team, 
to do the best in in the circumstances. You don't change the team halfway because the shape of the game's changing. Mm. That to me is a totally different game. You end up with a, a an offense and a defense like American football, and you know you might as well go and play baseball, which is probably a much better game than that. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm I'm getting on my high horse. Here, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm, I'm just really I'll address really concerned things. about the impact of all that money. I understand you. No, I understand so you. You go. You go for it. Huh? No, I'm just thinking, look, one thing. I think it's pretty much how we are seeing in other things as well. In sport, there's a lot of privatization going on. And privatization yeah. means bringing in a lot of money. It's not always a negative thing. But if there's a lot of profiteering going on or betting on the side, that's another thing entirely. If it simply means... a lot of money is being pumped into sport and the sportsmen are getting richer and those of us who are following the sport are making them richer that way i don't think that's a bad thing so in america sport is a hugely popular and hugely well paid profession and this has always been the case when it comes to silly money like those being thrown at ronaldo that's i think that's a one off i'll be frank with you that's just the world cup we were catching up to some uh, some really rich person in the middle east and 200 million euros a year is i don't know what to talk about that but indeed that that's some silly money but outside of that we have seen cricketers who are sort of at one one per one time of the or the other considered you know they were professionals and amateurs and so on people even refused to get paid for playing cricket it's come a long way from that so now you have franchise leagues that are being organized where you're right there are consortium consortiums and businessmen and you know firms that are trying to take a stake where these people are just good at making money so they already come in with a lot of money and they know how to multiply that on the side a lot of money is being made through legalized betting and other things that's another thing but i just think this is not always a bad thing as long as the game is kept clean and we are looking to see the contest for the sake of the contest itself not something that's been bought and sold on the side right for me that's okay well absolutely right so that's one thing uh, coming yeah. to the other one look i think this technical substitute might be a really good thing and usually the shorter the format the more chances of sort of tinkering with the rules and making new additions in test matches as well they did try a substitute earlier on so it and then it was dropped right i think it was also tried in odis if i'm not wrong in tests i think you still have the concussion sub but that's sort of enforced but this one i think tactical substitutes may be seen in other other uh, levels of cricket as well but starting in t20 ipl much like many other things that it's been um sort of a trying it's also trying this one it might work it might not it remains to be seen how it goes but very interesting for me for me as i said at the end of the day the game growing the game becoming more popular people with more money also thinking of this as a way of really multiplying their money all great as long as the game remains clean and as you say the spirit of the game will be challenged what was held to be the spirit of the game when certain few colonies of england played it for the lack of a better term will be challenged more and more it becomes free market free market will demand that the game evolves along with it so that it can sort of make it more entertaining at the end of the day it's for the paying punters that's what it's become now there is a purity of cricket that will be held that will be kept to test cricket and it will be sort of kept to the bastion of 10 12 teams maybe whereas the rest of the teams that play can enjoy the players can earn by playing in different leagues so you'll probably see more and more of just a t20 league player that's what his career will be he doesn't have to really think about cricket yep test cricket one day cricket playing for a country 
I'm I'm going to bet in 20 years from now, club cricket will be bigger than country cricket, just like football is. Playing for a club will mean more to somebody than playing for their own country. It might actually come to that, right? Sorry, when you say a club, you mean a franchise? A franchise. That I, I, let's call it a franchise. And maybe there are franchises which Sorry, are... Sorry, because when, when you say club cricket, I think oh, of no, the no. grassroots oh, no, no, stuff no. where people play, even if they're rubbish at it, they play because <laughs> it's, a, no. it's good fun and it's not a development path. I yeah. meant franchise cricket where you may have the same franchise owning multiple multiple uh, you know stakes in different tournaments yep. like you you see the some of the ipl yeah, owners. And I, hate, I hate that idea <laughs> I, I hate hate that development i really do uh, i mean it's not as if the icc has done a brilliant job mm. uh, given the the way in which the big three have died right. and uh, far for it for me to suggest it's corrupt as fifa but it's probably as corrupt as fifa at the end of the day we hope they can stop we hope they can stop before that yeah <laughs> So, so do I. But at the end of the day, I really do that if there's not a form of uh, a body that is charged with maintaining the structure that we have better, but in a similar form, mm. then if we give it away to private ownership, then basically it'll all be about what makes money. <laughs> Everything will be about what makes money. Right. That's And that... You know, yes, obviously, cricket needs to be making some money, but uh, it's it's not the driving force, or it shouldn't be the driving force in terms of it, and that's what concerns me. And I'm an old fuddy-duddy, so what would I know? You know. Nah, I mean, look, you 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 still hold the primacy of the game, the purity of the spirit of cricket as the primary driver, but much like many other things these days, money has also entered into the into the stream as one of the drivers of how we do things and what we do things, right? Yes. And we see that in multiple places. So sport being infused with more money is one thing. You may see tennis tomorrow actually having a league played. It's it's not yet there, but you hear multiple other sports. Golf being challenged now with another league. Yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about, you know, that, that Ronaldo thing just being a one-off, uh, I don't think that's the case. I think players like... Qatar and Saudi Arabia, where there's a huge amount of money uh, involved in getting a profile of something that is not, in fact, commercial necessarily, other than in their long-term uh, interests. Aramco, for example, we're advertising right for the mm. Cup. Nobody buys anything from Aramco. Uh, well, none of the people watching the cricket do, uh, but it's all about and identification and making themselves sound reasonable. Um, that sort of stuff is going to be going on in a big way wherever there is. There are a lot of eyes to see it, and that's what worries me. That you know, the LIV tour in golf that's massive, massive amounts of money going in there. And you can't say that, in terms of the, the commercial reality of golf, that's going to be repaid directly. It's all about um, brand advertising and. Uh, you know, not just Saudi, but <clears throat> Saudi-owned companies probably and others uh, getting some respectability through mm. it. And that's going to keep happening in my view. Now you're right. This is sort of also going into quasi-political uh, forms of, uh, you know, how the people sort of use sports yeah, yeah. to sort of bring about a slightly more um, agreeable and acceptable, uh, you know, the situations that they have locally back home, how they would 
convince others that things these things are also okay it's 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 a long story i don't want to go into that yet one last thing just a quick one david warner has initially asked for an appeal against his captaincy ban to be discussed in front of a tribunal now is withdrawn it is that the right thing for you yes i totally understand why he mm. uh because basically what he said is if i have to go through the shit show in public mm. again that then i and particularly my family are going to be subject to the same old mm. stuff and you know jesus he served his penalty mm. yes he did the wrong thing he's accepted he did the wrong mm. thing what do they want him to do mm. now um so you know what i think what he said is that <clears throat> the council assisting the panel appeared to be determined to revisit the events of march 2018 and the review panel appears determined to expose me and my family to further humiliation and harm by conducting a media circus now you may be exaggerating but you know frankly mm. i i wouldn't want to put anybody through that shit again he he's uh he's suffered a penalty and uh i think that's enough and i think there's pretty much overall agreement however much anybody mm. may like or dislike david war that the penalty was too harsh at the time uh, but it was done for because there was so much outrage mm. i mean in australia there was a huge amount of outrage over what was done but you can bear it with other uh, ball tampering incidents around the world and the truth is that it's been going for a very long time will continue to be so but uh, that that was um uh hubris uh, to a certain extent the australians acting like mm. pigs and uh the come down was so hard that they were looking for someone to really punish and uh he he copped the respect which he deserved but not a lifetime ban but mm. that being that um i think his decision is a good one for him to be honest the the other thing is i think actually warner is is likely to be on the decline i wouldn't be at all surprised if he doesn't make it to the ashes in england next i have year. a feeling about that um, as well well the irony in all of this is the so far this year there've been six rounds of sheffield shield play mm. played and only one player has made three centuries in it that player is cameron bancroft <laughs> wouldn't it be ironic if cameron bancroft replaced david warner in the test team <laughs> well he has he has shown that he can bat anywhere in the top 6 that will be great to see and you are right indeed that uh, yeah, yeah. there he is sort of on the decline uh, you see that uh, his test match returns are not what they used to be he used to be really good he used to be able to win test matches on his own it's he's not there anymore and it can be that you know he's also his age it's also his focus changing because he's uh, you know he's had to uh, do other things and sort of now he's more of a also a t20 circuit player and so on and so on so yeah uh, not a lot to go into that but you think that's the right approach that he has to withdraw and i think i agree with you there that yeah. maybe you know he's saving his his own family a lot of uh, further you know embarrassment and talk about things that better be left in the past well I mean, the truth is the australian cricket board has has acted pretty poorly for the last several mm. years over this whole thing uh and hope there'll be a lesson learned i hope so as well i, I really so. hope so because uh well i remember all the outrage and some of it was warranted not all of it was really but that's okay it's a longer story it will be interesting to see um i noticed last that there was an ad on amazon mm. for the second series the test you the first series i mm. presume um the second series starts 
when Tim Payne's still captain and then loses his uh-huh. captains. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, obviously it's sort of sanitized versions, but uh, I still find the first uh, is really interesting as a sort of behind the scenes look at what goes right. on. So that that's not out till February, but uh, it'll be an interesting mm-hmm. follow. Fair enough. Let's see. Well, let's see how that comes through. So that brings us to the end of all the topics we wanted to discuss. Thank you very much for your time once again. Uh, well, thank you, Ajit. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sorry I'm a bit verse, uh, <laughs> verbose sometimes. That's okay. Uh, but it's been fun. Look, we are Test Match fans. Huh? Not everything has to be done in a very, very quick way. And I'd rather flesh out a topic, talk a little <laughs> bit more, uh, than you know, keeping it too short and then thinking uh, not enough was said, something like this, right? Thank you very much for your time. And uh, as always, absolutely, uh, we wish to have you again sometime. Would you like to give out some links where our other listeners and uh, fans of this podcast could reach out to you maybe or listen to you. We know you are always active on Guerrilla Cricket. You're one of the staunchest supporters. Where else, I wonder? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have a, uh, a place where I occasionally put up articles. I think over the last five years, I've put up four or okay. five, uh, which is a WordPress site. Uh, which you can find in my Twitter handle. It's messages.wordpress.com. Fair enough. Nice. Very nice. So all I would say is if you're tuning into Guerrilla Cricket, you would definitely hear more of messages. Don't you also contribute to their uh, weekly newsletter for Patreons? You do, right? Uh, From time to time, yes. Yes, indeed. Lovely. Um, And that's good fun. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you once again. And we wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.